If you got your Bibles, I want you to open it up this morning to Acts chapter 13 and just park right there. As we get ready to get into the word of God, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are more than enough and that you are more than capable, that you are powerful and that you are true. Lord, I come to you today knowing that you are in control and you have all authority in your hands. Your spirit is present in this place and you're moving upon lives and hearts. Lord, I pray that you would also move upon my life, that I would be a vessel in your hands to bless your people and encourage them in your word. Father, I know that in this place, there are men and women who need to start a relationship with you or resume a relationship with you, God. Today, I declare, is their day in Jesus' name. Father, I also know that in this place, there are people searching for a faith home, a faith family. I pray, Lord, that today they see Celebration International Church as the place that you have led them to for a purpose. Father, I thank you that before me are men and women who are victorious. Say victorious. And so, Father, let no thing, let no one, let no power, let no enemy come in between what you want to do and fulfill in the lives of your people. In God's name I pray, amen. Amen. I want you to say a faith confession with me as well, because I want you to understand that we, when we activate God's word, God's word changes us. There's an invite card that's on your seats, and it says, this invite could change your life. And someone asked me, Pastor, why don't you say this invite will change your life? And the reason for that is because we have to opt in. We have to buy in. We have to say yes. And so when we take action, God moves mountains. Amen? So I want you to say this with me as we get ready to launch into God's word this morning. Say, the applied word of God will change my life instantly. Let's say it together. I actively embrace and embody its teachings. Pleasing God is my purpose. I walk in faith and I say, come on, I got to hear you. And I prosper as my soul prospers. My faith is proof in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and give God a, a round of applause. If you've been participating with us in the last couple of weeks, in the last couple of services, if you were here in the month of December and saw the, the upcoming events, you know that I've called our church to a corporate fast. I've called all of us to coming together for a fast an intentional time of prayer, an intentional time of fasting. And for 21 days, we're going through this. More specifically, from the 2nd of January through the 22nd of January, we are going through a partial fast called the Daniel fast. And now for you, if you don't understand what Daniel, who he was or what he did and how he abstained from certain things in the Old Testament, let me just fill you in. If you're new with us, let me fill you in. Think of the Daniel fast as a more aggressive, stringent type of vegan diet. But it also excludes all sorts of processed foods, all sorts of white flour products. It excludes all of the sweeteners and preservatives and additives and the caffeine and the alcohol, all of those things. It, it, it says no to all of that. So it's like a fruit, a vegetable, a, a whole you know, food type of diet that is rich and something that Daniel did. So you can get more information on it in the Welcome Center. There's a, a brochure. There's, there's a QR code back there that you can scan and get that so you know what to buy at the store, what to avoid, what to eat from your pantry, and all that good stuff. But it's also a time of devoted prayer. We've put together a couple of special prayer times. Every day there's prayer here at 12 o'clock happens, you know, Monday through Saturday and Sunday we're here together. So we are praying all the time. There's the Tuesday night prayer intercession group all the time that we have every single week. But we're also asking you that during this time, as you're not spending 
a lot of time working on this and that and, and, and eating this food and that food that you are sacrificing every time you remember, oh, I'm not eating this, that you stop and you pray and you seek God and you press into him. So as you're disciplining your consumption, we're asking you to devote time seeking God. And we're believing that in 2024 that God is going to reawaken a lot of things, that he's going to bring change and transformation into a lot of areas of our lives, that within the church there would be a resurgence of holiness, of purity, of desire, of prayer, of service, of joy. Somebody say joy. God is good. Amen? So that there would be a revival of, of faithfulness to him and fruitfulness as well. I'm believing that this 2024 is a strategic time for us, that God is actually moving. And my prayer is that through my call for you to pray and fast, that you will hear the master's call, that you would hear the father, that you will hear God speak to you for what you need to draw closer to him, grow in richness of relationship, but then know how God is wanting to speak and move among us. So, we're halfway through. How are you doing? How's it going? I'm not going to ask you to show of hands how many actually decided to opt in and get involved in the fast. But let me just tell you, we're halfway through. There's still time to start if you haven't. Right? And for those of you who did, I pray that God has strengthened you and sustaining you as you're going through this. And I left this purposefully open-ended. I was talking to a brother, and he's like, hey, pastor, what are the prayer points that we should be praying? I kind of feel like we need some guidance here. And it was an intentional decision to just leave it open because I want you to first get started. I want you to just press in and say, Lord, I'm going to sacrifice and move forward, and God can start speaking to you and moving upon you. But now for the remainder of this fast, as we're halfway through, I want us to get a little bit more intentional because of some corporate strategic things that is facing us as a, as a body of believers. I pray that you've been spending time with him in prayer and in the scriptures. I'm praying that God is renewing your connection and joy and, and, and all of those amazing things and intimacy is being formed among you. But now I want you to shift some gears with me. There's a lot of um, effects on this. If you guys can fix it, let me know. Just do that. Thank you. Um, I want you to understand through God's word. If you're in Acts chapter 13, say amen. I believe that as we unpack this a little bit forward, you're going to understand why it's absolutely critical for us in this time and season to collectively and individually come together in this corporate initiative. And through this, I hope that you're going to see some collective benefits and some individual benefits as well, because I think God is trying to speak to all of us through what God's called us to do in this season. So if you're there with me, say amen. Acts chapter 13. Amen. Now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers. And here are the men. Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Verse 2. While they were ministering to the Lord... And fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. Amen. I want you to understand as we get ready to unpack a few things for us in terms of the efficiency and effectiveness, the benefits of what this church experienced and how that can impact us collectively as a body and as an individual follower of Jesus. I want you to understand that there was a situation that Paul, Barnabas, Manaean, Lucius, all of these men and the leaders and the, and, and the members and the congregants of the Antiochian church were facing. They were in the midst of something in the crossroads of their ministry. 
They had something to do and they needed to get to it. And as these brothers are gathered together in a church setting, they are ministering to the Lord and they're praying and they're worshiping because ministering is prayer and worship. And they're fasting. Based on what happened in the account of this story, it is very fair for us to conclude that what weighed on their hearts, what was compelling them to minister, to pray, to worship, to fast, was this very thing. Where do we go as a church right now? Where are we going? What is the next phase of our mission? What are we to do in the call that God has for us? In essence, this church was seeking direction. Say direction. They wanted God to give shape, to fill in the details, to give an embodiment to what their church looked like, breathed, lived, experienced, fulfilled. They wanted God to be in every aspect of who they were as a congregation. And so they wanted God's leading, and they chose to express that. Get this. Check this out. Not through just hungry hearts. God, we need you to move. But they said, Father, with hungry bellies. We want you to move. They said, God, I'm going to put something on the line. It's not just my heart is yearning and desiring and seeking. There is something missing. There's a hole, a void. There is just a deep yearning and hunger in here. God, I am going to allow my body to feel what my heart feels for you. I want to do this so that you can see that I am serious about this. And we declare this to be something corporate. The fast was an act of sincere dedication and surrender to God. God, we desperately need your guidance. Would you move and reveal through your spirit among us? So the question that I want you to consider is, what is it that they wanted to hear? What is it that these guys are seeking? And we look through the circumstance and the outcome and what God is about to say and do among them, that these guys are asking for answers to questions that you're not just going to pull up the Torah, Eleanor, and just say, what chapter and verse in the Old Testament prophets am I going to find out? Where, where am I going to go in Moses' writings and find the answer to what God wants us to do right now? What they're asking had no cookie cutter answers. What this church is seeking God to say and answer to them are things such as, hey, God, should we launch a global missionary movement? Because if I remember correctly, God, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you said that you should wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, by which when it comes, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We've gone to Jerusalem. We've done the, the Samaria in Acts chapter 8. We've gone to Judea. We're starting to branch out a little bit here in Antioch, which is, you know, miles away from Jerusalem. But God, what about this uttermost parts of the world? They're asking for this question. They're asking, God, is this the right time for it? Is this the time to launch? They're asking, God, should we send our own MVPs? Would it be Paul and Barnabas? Would it be Lucius? Should it be Manaean? Should it be, you know, the other brothers, Peter, John? Should it be the other brothers, you know, not James because he's been beheaded by now, but, but, but what, what about all this? Who, who should go? How many of them? Should we send all of them? Should we send a few of them? Who should we send? Do we send them where? Do we send them over here to Asia? Do we go to Asia Minor? Are we going to Rome? Are we going to Spain? Where are we going, God? Where should we start? And, and by the way, God, should we go by land? Should we go by sea? Should we take the air? Just kidding on the air. There was no airplanes. Wh which way? How? What medium? How? When? See, these are the questions that they're asking for. Do we um, raise budgets for these guys? Or do we hope that they're going to be part-timers working so that they can fund their own way? Or are we just praying to God that they're going to find partners when they arrive? Financial sponsors that will fund them and be able to carry out the mission. These guys are asking questions. Should we call the Jerusalem church? which we just raised funds to help in the, in the famine of the land, but should we call them to now join with us and we go, is this something that only we do or others join us? There's all these questions. Are you, are you kind of getting what I'm, where I'm going? 
There are things that they couldn't just say, let me open up the Bible, of which most of it hadn't been written yet because it's still the New Testament. And so where do I find the answer to the who do I send? And the is it right now or is it later? Do I go this way or that way? You know, is there a scripture that says the name of the country that I should go to? They didn't have the cookie cutter answers. So this church got together intentionally and they launched prayer, worshiping, and fasting. Church, likewise, I feel like we are in a similar crossroads. I feel that we as a church, Celebration International Church, and today, you know, if you're brand new, maybe this message is is more geared toward the people who are part of the congregation already, but I guarantee you that God's going to speak something into your heart. But church, if you are a member of our church, if you are a regular occurring, uh, recurring and, and attending person here, this is the point that we now live in right here. Last October, we relaunched a vision, mission, core values. We relaunched the vision of what God wants to do in us. We carried this burden from last October and set it before the congregation through much prayer and much time in in, in seeking the Lord's face. We said that we want this church to be about the vision of bringing a life worth celebrating for all people. Say amen. That once you come and you encounter the ministry called Celebration International Church and you meet the one whom we are revealing, Jesus Christ, that you will come to find out that you have a life that is worth celebrating. That God has come to add to your life and not take away from it. He's come to give you life in abundance and not give you a limited view or a a certain set of values that only you can stay here and no further. That this is the station that you'll grow to and you will only be used here and no more. We are believing that our mission is to reveal Christ, to raise people, and to reach the lost. And so how, God, do you want us to fulfill that right now? How are you going to flesh out the strategies and the objectives and the timing and align the people, the causes, the momentum? How, Lord Jesus, are you going to help us in this time? What do we need to do? This is where we stand as a congregation. And this is something I'm wrestling with every day. And I'm going to the Lord in prayer every day. This is something that my board is asking every single time we gather. We're asking questions about where we're going and what God wants to do and how he wants to fulfill it. Right now, we face similar questions to Antioch. And so I need you with me to observe this church and what they've fulfilled, what they experience, and what can we learn from it. So I want to give you a couple of observations this morning. Say observations. All right, the first thing that I want you to know is that verse 2, what does it say? They ministered to the Lord. Say the word to. I want you to understand here the choice of words that Luke has chosen to use in this setting. Here is a church who were not ministering for the Lord. They weren't busy doing work and jobs for Jesus. They weren't busy on their mission, fulfilling and doing and bringing and and accomplishing. These were people that weren't ministering for the Lord. Notice also how it doesn't say that they were a people, a church, that were being ministered to by the Lord. See, a lot of us, we go to church, we seek God, we read the scriptures, we, we bow down our knees in prayer because we want God to minister to us. And hey, there is nothing wrong with God ministering to us. How many of you like God ministering to you? How many of you know that, like, when, that, that when God speaks, there's a confidence and assurance that that's there in our spirit? How many of you have experienced that and witnessed that? How many of you have asked God to move mountains on your behalf and he has done some incredible miracles for you? Say Amen. Oh, I like God ministering to me. I like going to church and just letting the worship team do what they do best and pour out their hearts and their souls and their talents to God. And God just speaks in wave after wave after wave over me. I love it. It's such a great feeling. I love it when I go and I pray with the brother and sister and they speak a word from God that just touches my heart and it is exactly what I need to hear in that moment. I love that, don't you? But here's a church that was not 
being ministered to by the Lord. But here is a church that was ministering to the Lord. See, these guys came to God and they say, Lord, we just want to give you worship. We just want to focus our attention on you. God, we just want to give you praise. Lord, we just want to worship your name. Father, we know that you have created us for the prophet Isaiah tells us that you have made them being us for your glory. They wanted to come together and pray and fast and worship and sing songs so that they could bring glory to God. Say glory. That's all that they were seeking to do in that moment. They have questions on their hearts, but they have come to God and they are pressing in. They're collectively doing this as a body so that they can give God glory. Man, what would happen if we just shifted our attention instead of saying, hey, God, I'm coming to you today in my Bible reading because I want to be a diligent, good little boy or girl in the faith. And so I want you to see me, notice me and and bless me. And then I've putting in the time so that I can reap the benefits. How about if we just showed up and said, God, I'm here for you. What do you need? What would you like for me? Jesus says, I have come to serve and not be served. I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. And Jesus himself, imagine that, the Son of God, the one who was in equality with God in heaven, who came to earth, humbled himself, picks up a basin of water and a towel. He takes off the outer garments, he gets down low on the ground, and he starts to wash dirty feet to serve. Man, if my father can do that, if, if God in the flesh can do that, if, if our Lord is that merciful and great, can we just come to him and say, God, I'm ready to wash your feet even though your feet need no washing? I'm just coming to you to give to you worship and glory and honor and praise and all of those things because you deserve it. I'm coming here because your name will be glorified through me. I'm coming to you because I don't want rocks to cry out louder than I cry out to you. So this church was a church that came, number one, in verse two, they said they ministered to the Lord. But think about this also in verse two. It says, while they were fasting. So for those of us who love to compare Old Testament, New Testament, some of us, we go back and say, oh, that's something that happened in the Old Testament. And God was this way in the Old Testament. And now he's this way in the New Testament. These are things that we used to do. And now these are things that we do now because it's the New Testament. For Jesus himself said, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He's fulfilled a lot of things. Well, sorry, friend, he hasn't fulfilled fasting. So for those of us who love to eat everything and anything and all the time, there is a call for fasting today. Yeah. One amen. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Praise the Lord. As we're thinking about which restaurant, which place, what is waiting for us at home in the oven, what we've prepared. There's all there is a call for us today to fast here. Paul and Barnabas and the others in Antioch didn't think that fasting was something of the past. But they said, now that Jesus has come, now that Jesus has already ascended to heaven, here we are today fasting. This is post-Jesus coming. This is after Jesus came to the earth. They are fasting. And it reminds me of the words that Jesus says in Matthew 6, 17. When you fast. Not if you fast, but when you fast. It reminds me of what he said in Mark chapter 2. That there are going to be days coming when they, his disciples will fast because the bridegroom is no longer around. You're not going to fast in the middle of the wedding reception. You're going to be happy that the couple got together. You're going to be happy that there's a big party. And now is the moment for you to rejoice. Jesus came. They rejoiced. They were with him. Now he's gone to heaven, and he's one day coming back. But until the day he returns, the church is to what? So, so have you fasted? Don't answer. When have you fasted? A partial fast, a full fast, a half a day fast, a couple of day fast. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Daniel fasted for 21. 
Some people fasted, if you look and read the scriptures, for one day, for three days. There's different reasons and different callings for fasting. But the reality is it's all throughout the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, and it has gone through for the rest of church history to this very day. Fasting is for today. Don't get caught up, well, you know what, Jesus never talked about this or that. Well, he did talk about this one. Jesus came to fulfill, no, he, he expressly said, the days will come when they will, when the bridegroom, meaning me, when Jesus is no longer here, they will fast. So, while he's away, we got to be doing the things he's ordained and left for us to do. Number three, I want you to see that this is a collective fast tells us that while they were worshiping, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, these guys, they, they're together. They're in one place. They're in in one room. They are fasting. I cannot imagine that this is like everyone in secret and incognito has made a decision within their hearts to fast and to pray and to seek God in diligence and nobody else knows about it. Well, pastor, doesn't Jesus say that when you give, your left hand should know what the right hand gives? And when you fast, you should go into your closet. You should wash your face. You should put on oil. You should look good, smell good, you know, have a good, pleasant smile on your face and and be happy about it. Didn't Jesus say that so that people don't know that you're fasting? Isn't that the case? So how the heck, or how, right? I'm sorry, I'm getting excited. (laughs) Can you say that, you know what, I'm going to fast, and yet this doesn't seem right. Jesus said to do it in secret. These guys are doing it publicly. They're all together. It's after Jesus came. Uh, This doesn't make, how do I reconcile this? See, I want you to, to think about this. If we had to fast in secret, how many of y'all live with somebody? There's somebody else that lives with you. You're not living alone, whether it's a roommate or whether you live with family. Can, show of hands. Just raise your hands. I need to see this. Wow, there's a lot of single people living by themselves here. Show your hands. Let me raise it real high online. If you live by yourself, put it in the chat. Uh, that's fine. If you live with somebody else, put it in the chat. So here's the deal. Keep your hands up. I got to see this. What do, you, what do y'all think? Look around. Is this about like, you know, 80%? of us or so, about 80% of us, you know, live with somebody. So if fasting is about doing it in secret and not having anybody know, then 80% of y'all can never fast properly. Don't don't even try it. You're going to fail. Don't do it because it's going to be worthless. There's going to be no benefit, no outcome, no results at the end of it because your roommate saw you fasting. Well, really, what are you going to do? Are you going to like sit at the table when it's time for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and you guys are all together as a family or as, as, as a, you know, a house? You sit together, you put the food in your mouth, and when they're looking at you, you, you kind of chew it, and then when they turn their back, you spit it out? Is that the deal? Because if, if, if it's about somebody else knowing, they're going to know that you're fasting. I got to talk to my wife. You know, there's times and seasons when I'm fasting, you know, outside of the corporate fast time. And I tell my wife, I say, honey, don't make breakfast for me tomorrow. And that's already code. She understands. Are you fasting? Okay. Right? Or sometimes I say, hey, I'm going to fast this week. We haven't had a chance to talk and connect, but I am going to fast this week. So does that make my fast ineffective? Because she's aware of it? Like, that's just common protocol living with other people. If she goes and cooks for me, and then that plate stays on the table, I've wasted food, and I don't want to waste food. Oh, honey, sorry, I'm, I'm fasting today. No, no, it's just about a cooperation and collaboration there. There is going to be the reality of people knowing, and when we call a church to fast, we all know we're doing it together. It's like all of a sudden, it's like a big taboo secret to talk about, are you fasting? Oh, you're not, oh, you're not eating. Okay. So. No, 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 there, there is... A collective fast. And although God who sees you in secret will reward you in public, what Jesus is talking about when he says that we should go and hide, that we should do it in secret so God can reward us publicly, is when he's calling us to do a private fast and when he's calling us to do a public fast in this sense, that it's all about our motives. See, it always goes back to the heart, doesn't it, church? See, some people would fast so that they could be seen and admired. 
I'm fasting now, guys. Look at how much I'm sacrificing for the Lord, and you better look up to me. You've got your reward already. You ain't going to receive anything from God. What you're going to get is people's perception of you being holier than thou, and the reality is you haven't done jack. So it's not about people knowing, it's about what is the motive of our hearts. It goes back to the heart every time. If we fail to do this, if we fail to keep our hearts in check, I dare say we are sinning before God as we come and declare a fast so that other people can see us and look up to us and admire us. Group fasts are appropriate and they're viable and they're true. It's happened again and again in the Bible. It's happened, you know, when Esther needed God to intervene and save the Jewish people from annihilation. She called a national fast for all the Jews. When, you know, Jonah had come and preached the word of God to the, to the people of Nineveh and they were slated for destruction. God said, I'm going to destroy this land and this people because of their wickedness. Jonah, I want you to go and preach to them. After Jonah shares his word, although reluctantly, the people of Nineveh call a fast. The king calls a fast. And he says, not a person and not a single cattle. The poor cows, they had to fast too. That was how serious and devoted and corporate this thing was. And God spared the Ninevites and spared the Assyrians for at least the next 200 years. See, they failed to later on continue to live faithfully before the Lord and, and repent of their wickedness. So later on, judgment did come. But in that moment, as they called that fast, God stayed his hand. God fulfilled things. He's done it again and again. Jesus fasted. Jehoshaphat, he called the fast in 2 Chronicles. He called the fast when they were being oppressed by different enemies and there was war coming. And then a prophet of God gets up after the, after the, the king declares a fast and he says, do not worry, do not be afraid. This attack won't affect you. And it so happened that the enemies that were aligning with each other, the partners, the allies, they turned on each other and they killed themselves. And the Israelites, the tribe of Judah, did not even have to lift a finger and fight. Church, it's been, there's been collective fasts again and again. David called a collective fast when he found out that there was going to be judgment coming to him because of his sin. He asked the people to fast. He fasted so that the kid's life could be spared. There are fasts that are corporate. And if somebody knows you're fasting, Mary Annie, that's okay. But if they know because you want them to look up to you and think that you're an amazing Christian, you're a powerful woman of God, a powerful man of God, then you know what? You've lost the reason for fasting. Just quit it. Ask God for forgiveness. But then look at this. Number four, it's a fast that instigated special guidance. This fast was an occasion where the Holy Spirit spoke to this church and he ministered something in their hearts and he gave them an incredible solution. Verse 2, and while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to do. God, should we launch this mission? Set them apart. God, who shall we send? Barnabas and Saul. God, where are we going to go? Oh, that's coming. Just watch. Because I'm putting something in their hearts. And they're going to start launching out and they're going to go somewhere. And so what happens? Then they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands. They sent them away and they head off into Seleucia and then to Cyprus. What I want you to see here, church, is that Luke clearly wants us to understand and get the connection between ministering to God when we come before the Lord to worship him, to praise him, to just say, God, this is just about you. And when we come to him fasting, saying we're hungry to just minister to you in our hearts, but also our bellies. When we do that, that there is a connection on the one hand to that and a connection to the decisive guidance from the Holy Spirit on the other hand. There's an incredible value in us worshiping, praying, fasting. When you get these three things aligned in earnest, in purity, in pursuit of God's will, there is an incredible release from God and for the church. And for this church, it ushered for them the strategy. It gave them the way out. 
It showed them how to go and where to go, when to do it and how to do it. And the uttermost that they were still waiting to get to, in Jesus' words, they now were being launched to go fulfill in a real tangible way. And these guys would be the ones who would light the fuse, who would prime the pump, and who would see incredible things happen. Think about this from an individual perspective. Here you got Paul and Barnabas. Saul, who later becomes named Paul, so I'm not confusing the two. It's one and the same person. You got them individually. Lord, I've been serving you. Paul is serving for two years now at the church at Antioch. What do I go now? What do I do? What's the next phase in my ministry? What's the next phase in my life? What are you calling me to do? How can I bring you glory? And here, the same is happening with Barnabas, the one who's called the son of encouragement. He's been encouraging people left and right. God's used them here and there and everywhere. He's the one that got Paul and brought him along. And he started speaking into his life. And he's done great things. God, where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to touch? What is the next phase of what you want to fulfill? God gave these two individuals direct individual assignments. So I want you to understand when we pray, when we fast, when we minister to the Lord, that is an incredible way for you to gain individual knowledge of what God wants you to do. They represent every single believer here. How many of y'all need to know where you need to go right now and what God wants you to do? What does God want you to fulfill in your home? What does he want you to do in your family? How does he want you to impact your neighborhood? What is it that God wants you to leave an indelible mark on history and society through your life because your life matters? What is it that God, you created and put me here on this earth to do? If any of you have wondered such questions, if you've gotten frustrated with like, I'm just kind of going along life. I'm just kind of doing my thing. Every day I clock in, I clock out. I go home, I go to work. I sleep and I get up. I do this, I do that. I go to the bathroom, praise the Lord. I wash myself and all this stuff and it's the same. Rinse, repeat all the time. God, what is it that you want me to do? If that's you, man, what if you were to pray and fast? And minister to the Lord. Individually, he'd give you great guidance. But then number, again, additionally, another layer to this there is that not only from an individual level, God spoke to them on a corporate level. How do we reveal what you want us to reveal? How do we do? And that church got it. Friends, for us here as CIC, Celebration International Church, this is where we stand. Father, we need your guidance. How is it that we're going to reveal, raise, and reach people? Father, how is it that we're going to bring a life worth celebrating for all? What is the strategies that we need right now that we can capture some momentum within this community? Lord, what initiatives do we need to do so, and, and provide? What programs, what, what ministries do we need to birth right now so that we can impact people, not just Sunday to Sunday, but in between Sundays? What is this going to bring value and change lives and help them see that they are really raising themselves up to all that God called them to be? Father, what is it that you want us to do in terms of who do we send? We got a 10-year vision of being able to baptize over 300 people in a single year. God, what is it that's going to get the church to ownership, to preach to the lost, to bring in those who are far? What is it that's going to build urgency within the congregation so that we own our faith and we not just let the pastors do it or the missionaries or the evangelists, but God, that you call us as believers? What is the thing that is going to build connection for the congregation? You got to listen to this later on YouTube because these are all the prayer points that you should be praying right now during this last half of the fast. God, what is the outcomes? What is the things that you want to remove from us right now? Who are the leaders, the next generation teens, young adults, the, the, the folks who are our legacy members and partners that you want to put in this house so that we can reach the nations, that we can reach this region for Jesus? These are the questions that I can't just go to the Bible and say, Father, give me the chapter and verse. And I said, right there, John, your name is right here. I got to send you. Oh, I got you, Don. I don't know if there's a Don in scriptures, but you know what? As far as the east is from the west, as I rise on the wings of the dawn, maybe you're name is right there but here we go we need to search for him in prayer and fasting so that he would give us the strategies and fill in the vision and accomplish his goal with us lord if that's you i'm listening man church are you sensing this i'm praying over this i'm fasting for this i love you all i really do I pray for you. 
I cry for you. We get together as a staff and we pray over you. I want God to release his anointing on your life. I want him to activate you because there are layers and levels of living that you have not yet experienced because the Bible itself says no ear has heard, no eye has seen what God has prepared for those who love him. I know that there is so much more for you, but I also see beyond you that there are those that don't even have the baseline level of hope and freedom and life and liberty that you experience, that they are in the pits of darkness and they are bound in chains and they need to be set free and God needs to reach them and we are the people to do it. So God, I need you to move upon us. Not that my ego would feel better because I look around and all these pews are filled, but I look around and I see pews filled with people who are on fire for Jesus and who are taking back territory from the enemy and who are absolutely changing and turning the world upside down, as did the church in Acts. This is what we need. And I can't do it by myself. I don't want to do it by myself. But I know I can't do it by myself. And so, Lord, what is it that you need to speak to us and give us guidance? Because if you gave it to Antioch, you can give it to us. If you use a prophet called Agabus to tell them before this moment, go back and read a couple chapters, you'll see that God spoke to him about a famine that would come on the land and God mobilized them in Antioch to bring an offering to Jerusalem and help the brothers, the sisters, and those who would be in oppression, hungry. God, we need your prophets to come. We need your people to come and step up. We need your teachers to line up with us so that we can impart wisdom and knowledge and change on the world. Which leads me to the last one. Last observation. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. I want you to see what this church is doing and what they're experiencing. This fast, this intentional time of corporate seeking post-Jesus, ministering to the Lord, created change throughout the course of history. This was a threshold how many of y'all like, have, have really noticed certain thresholds in your life? Like there's, there's a line in the sand, and once you cross to the other side, life is no longer the same. For those of you who are married, everyone should be saying, yep, because that threshold was the day you said, I do. Life is no longer all about you, right? There are thresholds we cross. There, there, when we cross COVID, it changed life for a lot of lives. It changed for a lot of families. There are some of you who've lost members of your family through COVID. That was a threshold. When that thing came, things changed. For those of you who work in corporate offices, for some of you, COVID changed the reality of your workplace. Some of you are still hybrid and working from home. Some of you no longer go to the office every single day. There are thresholds that we cross that life changes afterwards. Well, this was a threshold moment in church history. Because this church prayed and fasted, because they sought the Lord, church history the world has looked different because of it. Think about this. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Before this time of prayer and fasting, there was no missions movement. Before there was a word from the Holy Spirit, there seems to be no organized missions movement. There was no strategy for how they were going to go and spread the gospel all over the place. There was no initiatives and systems in place. None of that existed. Before this, no missionaries had gone to Asia Minor, to Greece, to Spain, to anywhere else other than to the simple areas that they had been in, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So it changed because it birthed a missions movement. But number two, it created a budding church. And it expanded that church. This moment of prayer and fasting resulted in missionary movement that would make Christianity not only a dominant religion in the Roman Empire within two centuries. It went from those who followed the way to in just two centuries becoming the religion, the faith, the movement of the Constantine Empire. And then it became cool to be a Christian. Think about that. What started as Jesus, 
John the Baptist declaring the way in the wilderness and Jesus coming and then picking his disciples and, and growing from, from 12 to 120 to 500 to 3,000 in a day on Acts chapter 3 to 2,000 in another situation and growing as they're expanding and speaking of the word. Now it becomes in two centuries the national religion of the known world. And to this very day, think about this. It's become not just a budding church, but there are over today 2.3 billion adherents to Christianity. Can you all give it up for Jesus? From a small group to 2.3 billion. If that is not a change in the course of history, I don't know what is. Think about this. Before this, we don't have a fulfilled canon of Scripture. Although Luke writes the majority of the New Testament through the book of Luke and Acts, we got 13, 13 books being written, 13 letters being written by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, 13 out of 29. Can you imagine not ever being able to read Romans and the beautiful words and promises of 2 Thessalonians or the incredible things that God puts for us in Philippians to tell us about our Lord and the power that we have to overcome and how through all things God strengthens us. Because of this moment of prayer, God launches the 13 letters that we get to read in our Bible that gives us such inspiration called the Pauline Epistles. If there was no missionary moment and God sending Saul who becomes Paul, we would be missing out on the beauty of the word. So I want you to think it is only fair to say that God is pleased to make worship and prayer and fasting the launching pad for all that he wants to do and the mission he wants to affect and the change that he wants to bring to the world. So God, if you're changing the world in this way, why do we believe that we can go about changing the world without doing so? Without ministering to God, without fasting and humbling ourselves and coming before him, we will not make a mark in history that will truly reach eternity. We might make a mark in history, but it might not be what you want to show up in eternity. So there, there, there's plenty more, and we're going to park it right here. I'm going to invite you to stand with me, because here's my, my action for you this morning. There's, there's two things. Number one, if you're searching for what your next thing is and what God wants to do in your life, then I want you to just commit to this. Commit to ministering to God. Just say, Lord, I'm going to spend time with you. I'm not doing this to, to get anything out of it. I'm going to do this because when I'm with you, you know all things, right? You've created all things, right? You kind of have an upper hand than I do. Eventually that will rub off on me, which praise the Lord. But man, I want to get to know a person of that stature and caliber. I want to be around someone that has that type of nature and character. And the Bible tells us that we can if we just press into him. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we get to come to him and know him and access him. And so for you, maybe individually, you just need to know, God, what is it the next thing that I need to do? I've tried this. I've tried that. I've run after this. But Father, I want you. I want more of you. If you've walked away from the faith, if you've never had faith, if you've you know, never seen Jesus in the light of that, he is the, the true savior. He's the one that this church was prophesying, declaring, promoting, spreading. Then you say, Lord, I need this season of my fast. I'm going to actually choose to begin a fast. I'm going to begin to pray and to worship because I want to spend time with you because I'm initiating that relationship for, for the first time or again. And then secondly, corporately, I want you to go back and listen to this message. Go to the section about what I said, what, what answers that we need to the questions that we're asking. And I want you to commit to praying. If you haven't yet fasted because you're like, oh, this is for the holy people of CIC, not me. I, I got to get my stuff together first. No, God's calling you now. I need you now. He needs us now. The world needs us now. So it's just saying, I'm going to get started. 
I'm going to find out who this Daniel guy is and what he did. Or you know what? I can't. I got medication. I got this. I got that. I can't fast. So that's fine. I'm going to choose to sacrifice things that I find pleasure in. And instead of doing those things and the habits and rhythms of when I do them, I'm going to actually press in to pray and worship and seek God and say no to those things. If you just did that with me, and just remember, say, God, CIC has some questions. CIC needs some guidance and direction. Just pray for that. I can't wait to see what God's going to do among us. I can't wait. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you would multiply the blessing of Antioch over this congregation and house. Father, I pray just like they had Barnabas, Saul, Lucius, Manan. They had people well-connected with, with royalty. They had people, Lord Jesus, who were of diverse nationalities. They had, Lord God, um, Cyrus, Simon the Cyrene, the man who we believe is the one who carried the cross for Jesus when it was too much for him to bear. There is so much diversity within this body. Those who were intense and could preach the word like Paul and give so much knowledge. Lord, there was those who were just so passionate about the cross. There were those, Lord God, who had insights to the inner workings of politics and all that. God, there were those who just, Father, were encouragers like Barnabas. Father, I know that in this house there are diverse people here and that every single one of them is necessary and needed. Father, I thank you that in this place, Lord, together, collectively, we can accomplish something that will change this region that will change the reality of lives that would impact eternity. Father, I pray that you would reveal to every person the burden they need to hold, the thing they need to take ownership for, the sin that we need to confess and just get rid of, God. It's not serving us. It's not making us richer, better, you know, healthier, more fulfilled or satisfied. It's just keeping us more bound in the rat race of pursuing and accomplishing and achieving and being admired and all those wonderful things that we think we need, but yet God leaves us empty. Father, I pray that you would help us and that you would release over your church a new opportunity. In Jesus' mighty name.